0: This week on Into the Archives with the Boone Podcast, an NBA legend. He was a two-time NCAA national champion and a two-time NBA champion, the one and only Bill Walton. Sometimes
1: you just need to enjoy a classic. Join us as we go Into the Archives. Hey, we going back. And
0: put our ear to the history books with this one. This is Into the Archives. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Today on the program, I sit down with a basketball legend. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, I'm sitting down.
1: You're sitting down. I, I'm we're here. both sitting down, Billy. You're the legend. You're from your roots come from San Diego, which is my hometown. Your dad started at Hoover High School. Your uh, your grandfather Ray was at Hoover High School. Your dad right. was at Crawford. Right. It's the neighborhood that I grew up in. And so I know all about your family history, but the only thing I ask today, Brett, as we move forward, and who knows, as we ricochet through the universe, where this is going to end up. But please don't tell me who won today's Tour de France stage, because this is the penultimate stage, and I'm going to be watching it later this evening on the tape delay. And so it is so exciting. It's coming right down to the end. And today they are climbing the mountains. And that's what we're going to do right here on the boomcast.
0: I or love whatever, it, Bill, whatever you
1: call this show,
0: <laughs> the Boon podcast. I love okay. it. Um, biggest challenges for Bill Walton growing up. Now, Billy, I know you're close to seven feet tall. You're a big man. I got a lot of big buddies, a teammate of mine baseball not as big as basketball. Richie Sexton was a big teammate of mine, big hitter, 6-9 and I used to walk around with him. He said, "Yeah, Brett, these are kind of things I got to deal with in life."
1: What was the big pitcher's name that came out of Princeton, the big right-handed guy, more recently than you? Chris Young.
0: Chris Young. I played with Randy Johnson. He was tall. They were tall, but they're not tall, tall like you are. I want to know the challenges for you, because I'm assuming as a kid, you were always a big kid. You always had big feet. I was thinking about you taking a shower last night. I'm like, how does Bill Walton take a shower here? You gotta I, make shower out I shower outdoors.
1: Oh. I shower outdoors. We okay. live not home, not too far from where Ted Williams grew up. He grew up on Utah Street, which is just a little bit to the east of where I am on the north edge of Balboa Park. And then Hoover High School is just beyond there. San Diego High School is just one mile to the south of us, uh, where the Nettles family all went after they went to, say, the Gustins High School. But right. I love being tall. And I, I was tall from the early days. I, I was your size at birth. And so <laughs> here I was when I, uh, when I really started to grow was in high school. I was 13 and 14, and I got uh, – was playing against some really old guys at the gym at Helix High School where I went, which is even east of Crawford. I was super lucky in my life. No disparaging comments about Crawford High School. I'm undefeated lifetime against Crawford High School, but I was, our family home was one block from the San Diego line. I would have gone to Crawford had that line been drawn one block further east, but I got to go to Helix High School. And when I was 13 and 14, I was always playing basketball, and basketball was the easiest thing in my life. And I was playing against some really old guys. I always played up, and I was torching them. I was having a big day. They didn't like it, so they took me down with the old one-two high-low, and I ended up in a heap on the ground with a torn-up knee. And I had to have my first operation when I was 14 years old. I went into the operation at 6'1". I came out of the operation at 6'7 half, three months later. And uh, the rest is history. I was a totally different player when I came out of the operation. And I, I grew up playing basketball. My parents, you come from an athletic family. That is the antithesis of my life. My parents, zero interest in sports. Greatest. Greatest parents ever, but zero interest in sports. But I found basketball when I was eight years old. It was the easiest part of my life. Then I grew when I was 13 and 14, and my game changed. I went from wanting to be a Jerry West, a Pete Maravich-type player, always had the ball in my hands, then to then having Bill Russell as my favorite player. And then I just kept growing and growing and growing. And so while basketball was the easiest part of my life, academics were the second easiest. My parents were fantastic, Brent, in terms of the culture we had, the family, the team and everything, and academics and education. My mom was a librarian. My dad was a social worker, an adult educator, and a music teacher. And so, straight-A student, top athlete all the way through from the very, very beginning. My challenges have been orthopedic health. And I was born with birth defects in my feet. And then- uh, I ground those feet in, into dust. I tore up my knees, I broke my spine. I've had 39 orthopedic operations and uh, so here I am now at 69 years old. My health is better than it's ever been. And uh, with UC San Diego Health System and all this great surgeons they have and the, the technological revolution that's enabling this Boon podcast that has really taken over, in our health systems here. And UC San Diego is right at the front of that. And so everything is going great for me. But my biggest challenge also has a tie to baseball because I'm a lifelong stutterer. I could not say hello. I could not say thank you until I was 28 years old. Learning how to speak is my greatest accomplishment and your worst nightmare. And I learned how to speak from Marty Glickman, who was the broadcaster of the day in New York. And Marty did pre- and post-game shows for the baseball teams there, the Dodgers and the Yankees. And so, But Marty, he was the broadcaster for every sport in New York. And you look up any list, man, but Marty Glickman comes in at the very top. And I remember the day <laughs> that Marty passed away because Marty and I became fast friends. And, and he changed my life as much as anybody ever did in just a five-minute conversation teaching me how to learn how to speak. And so I was there at Coach Wooden's house up at the mansion on Margate in Encino, California, on the day that Marty died. And so the phone is ringing off the hook because at this time, Coach Wooden, he, you know, he's well up there in years. And when you're the old guy in the room, they always come to you for obituary. And Coach Wooden, he became the king of obituary because he knew everybody and he was the only guy still left standing. And so they called Coach Wooden and they're getting all the quotes about how wonderful Marty was and how he was able to how he was able to overcome the adversity that ruined his life. The anti-Semitism from the Berlin Olympics and everything and his ability to recover from that and to build a life and to spend a life of service and servant leadership for other people to get their lives going. And so Coach Wooden is going on and on and on about how great Marty Glickman is. And then he takes a pause because he was a master speaker and a master of the English language. That was his true love. Coach Wooden was English. He started in engineering. He was on an engineering scholarship at Purdue in the 30s. And he he was the first great player. He wanted to be an engineer, but... The engineering program to maintain his scholarship, they needed him to be a student on campus during the summer. And Coach Wooden, who came from nothing, Coach Wooden grew up on a farm without electricity, without plumbing, without running water. Coach Wooden, he needed a job. He needed a job in the summer to pay for things that were not covered by his scholarship. There were not NIL deals in those days. And so when Coach Wooden is is raving on and on about Marty, he comes to a pause, and there's dead air for a moment. And, and, and we're like, okay, what's he going to say now? And then Coach Wooden, he leans into the interviewer, and he says, but I'm really mad at Marty Glickman. And the r- reporter's writing it all down. Wouldn't I rate at Glickman on death? And then <laughs> Joe, how could you possibly be mad at Marty Glickman? And Coach Wooden said, Marty Glickman taught Bill Walton how to speak, but he didn't teach him how to stop. And then Coach Wooden hung up on them. And that was that was the end of
0: the interview. Wow, that that's that's and, very and cool. how lucky
1: I've been to have all these remarkable, remarkable figures in my life. And I was just thinking about Ted Williams, who just grew up here on Utah Street, chose, chose to go to Hoover, where your grandfather Ray went before Ted, I mean after Ted. But Ted did not think he was going to make the team at San Diego High. San Diego High, which is just down the street here. San Diego High has more baseball players, more baseball players in the major leagues than any other high school in all of San Diego. And they have 17 of them. Now, San Diego is the number one producer of baseball talent in the state of California. And I'm a proud Californian. I know you grew up in the Orange County area because your family was part of the Angels at the time and moving around in in, in baseball and everything. And then you went to USC. And so you know how popular baseball is here and the fantastic experiences that you've had with this remarkable family that you're a part of in this great culture. And I was thinking about Ted Williams. This Ted Williams story, very much like mine, although Ted's parents were not that involved with his life because they were busy and the dad was off and on and mom was working like crazy all the time. But Ted, he lived just a couple of blocks from the park, North Park playground, which is just right over here to my left. And I go by it all the time on my bike. And that's where Ted spent his formative years and the director of the north park playground was this figure this father figure to all these guys and boys uh, who who were just trying to create dreams for themselves and that one well, that dream for Ted Williams man that became everybody else's nightmare because i loved i loved the uh the david halberstam books about baseball that he would write the summer of 49 october 64 and then the teammates books and i had a great great privilege but Uh, of knowing David Halberstam as a friend in a professional relationship at the beginning that developed into a friendship for until the day he died. I was supposed to see him on the day he died. But anyway, I grew up in the parks too. Not because my parents weren't involved, but because... I was not going to sit at home, man. We live in San Diego where, where where you live outside all the time. And I'm most comfortable outside or in the gym and where the ceiling is like really far up there. Now you, the sport you chose to play, you play outside all the time. I don't think I could have done that because, you know, I, I have such fair skin, you know, I just, I I cannot go out in the sun. And as the, the older I get, the harder that becomes. But I'm still alive and I'm still going. And UC San Diego Health is just carrying me on. But my first coach, my first coach, he was a local fireman. And he had three children at the same school we all went to, which was three blocks from Crawford High School, where your dad went, and which was a mile and a half from Hoover High School, where your grandfather went, where I wanted Hoover High girls gym. I won my first basketball championship in the fifth grade. We torched all the sixth grade teams and we won the championship. And so, but my first coach, he was the volunteer, the volunteer coach at our elementary school for 59 years of his life. And when he passed away a few summers ago, I cannot tell you if he knew anything about sports, man, but that guy knew life. And he knew fun and he knew joy and he knew teammates. And, you know, he embodied the value and the power of sports, team and community. And he made us who we are. The thousands, the countless thousands of young people that that Coach Rocky, he touched, you know, he impacted, he he inspired, he directed. And it was just absolutely fantastic because he was the fireman the whole time. And he just told the fire station, he said, hey, man, uh, I'm down at the park with the children. There's a fire, come by and get me. If anybody complains, just tell them to come and see me. But I'm down at the park with the children. And, and Rocky was just, everybody you've ever known in San Diego knows Rocky. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash
0: businessgoldcard. That's very cool. And and you mentioned, you know, you talked about Ted Williams. uh, Yeah quite a bit and and I'll tell you Bill growing up through grandpa Ray who left right. us after in in 2004 but I was very close with my grandpa Ray and he would tell stories and he's a San Diego native like yourself born right. and raised and uh, he couldn't t- He couldn't talk enough about Ted Williams. I'll tell you during my tenure as a, as a big leaguer in the nineties and the early two thousands.
1: So Ted, even though he grew up in San Diego, you know, he quickly made it to the big leagues and then Boston and stayed there and then spent most of his time down in Florida when he wasn't out fishing all the time, but he would make regular trips to San Diego and I would see him and sit by his side and listen to all the stories and everything. And then to have the privilege of not only being on some of these really great basketball teams in the history of the sport but to just to know so many of the broadcasters and the coaches and all the different people and when I think man of, of those of those coaches that I have had the baseball coaches that that I've got to know over the course of my life Sparky Anderson Tommy Lasorda uh, Billy Martin, okay, I guess. You know, Earl Weaver, Dick Williams, Tony La Russa, still going out there. Whitey Herzog, Jim Leyland, Joe Torrey, Jim Fregosi, Lou Pinella, Bobby Cox, Mike Shosha. I mean, these are all legends of, of teaching and, and inspiring and leading and guiding young people to a better tomorrow. And, and that doesn't even begin to touch about, on the, all the the basketball coaches or the football coaches that I've been uh, involved with over the course of my life. And I was super lucky. I had an older brother. He's no longer with us. He died of football uh, just a short time before COVID started and taking everybody. But uh, Bruce, who went to UCLA ahead of me, and Bruce was an excellent uh, football player, All-America UCLA, Academic All-America. A uh, great ba- high school basketball player at Helix, uh, Coach Wooden wanted Bruce to play on the on the UCLA basketball team, but but Bruce looked around and he said, hey, "You guys already got Swen Nader. you don't need me out there to protect Billy, and I'll have more fun with all the girls in the in, in the stands at the games. I won't be able to meet the girls if I'm on the team and sitting on the bench over there." But Bruce uh, was uh, on the Dallas Cowboys, and so Bruce and I are the only brother combination. I know your family
0: is just went to went
1: to a Super Bowl. Right, so Bruce and I are the only brother combination in the history of the world, and that covers a lot that that have played in the Super Bowl and won the NBA championship. And he was the one that played in the Super Bowl uh, football. Yeah. That was that was uh, that was not for me. I, I, mean, I tried baseball too. I tried baseball. I liked it, uh, but it just uh, I, I I like more action. I, I, I'm, I'm. I like fasting. I like John Fogarty singing center field. I like John Fogarty singing it's almost Saturday night. I like John Fogarty. We're gonna go see John Fogarty, Laurie and I. We spend a lot of time with live music venues. And uh and we got uh we're gonna see John uh three or four times this summer already. And then we just got off the Grateful Dead tour, man. That was just over the top incredible. And so I would, you know, all the great new baseball stadiums, you know. David Stern, the most important man in the history of all basketball, never shot a basket, but he made a game into a business. And the the way that David brought all these remarkably successful business people into the ownership positions, I mean, his legacy, David Stern's, is over the top in everything that he did for basketball. Maybe as important as anything else is the ownership groups that he brought in and the stadiums that they've all built and all these palaces that every franchise has right now. And now that is going on in baseball as well. I know there's uncertainty in Tampa and Oakland and where they're going to play and they're trying to get the public money uh, for baseball stadiums, which I am not into at all. I I like the model of the Golden State Warriors, private finances. Uh, for the stadiums, I mean, if, if you're if you're rich enough to own the team, build your own stadium, right? But re- with the Grateful Dead, I've been to Fenway Park, to Wrigley Field, to Philadelphia, whatever they call that stadium, right? And then, but I just got back. Laurie and I just got back from City Field, where the Mets play, because the Dead Tour just ended. Now they call themselves Dead and Co. right now, but I just refer to them as the Grateful Dead for people who may not know who Dead and Co. is. Everybody knows who the Grateful Dead are, anyway. So we were at City Field for the final two shows. They played 19 shows on the tour, and uh, and Lori and I got to go to seven of them. The first. The first one at Dodger Stadium, over the top. Incredible. The Dodgers took such great care of us, man. Incredible. And then up to Shoreline for two, up to Boulder for two, the launching pad to the universe. And, and we're there. Just It's just an over the top show. And the crowd, 50,000 fans just going nuts, right? Looking looking for what's next in life. And I turned to Lawrence and said, hey, man, anyway, we got to go to more of these. And so we went to the final two at City Field. And on the final night, and, and the people at City Field, what a beautiful stadium. Got to take the subway there. And it was just great. And they were all so nice and friendly and accommodating. The shows were spectacular. And on the final night, 70,000 fans just going crazy. And the Grateful Dead just driving it as only they can. Huge stadium show. And John Mayer, John Mayer that night, he became Michael Jordan. It was, was so spectacular. I was there Anybody else who was there will never forget that show because that guy he he stood as tall as anyone's ever
0: stood. Very cool, yeah. And and you you mentioned your brother Bruce and and Ah. you had some other siblings. I have so I have two questions for you about about your childhood, and I thought it was fascinating when I was doing my doing my due diligence on Bill Walton. And that was you had a family band where you Ah. played the trombone,
1: no, no, Bruce. Bruce played the trombone. Well, how'd you I, play? I played the baritone, the French horn, the trumpet. I, I could play all of the horn instruments and, and so could Bruce, but he, he, uh, this is all under my father's.
0: He was uh, a music teacher.
1: You're fine. Right. He was a social worker in the daytime, uh, downtown San Diego. And then in the evening, he was, he was an adult educator at San Diego high San Diego city college, and also at Roosevelt Junior high, which is now called Roosevelt Middle School, which is just two blocks from our house where we live. And so it all rolls into one. And so my dad who loved music. He 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 couldn't believe that he had to spend all his time going to these, uh, you know, irrelevant, meaningless, <laughs> waste of time sporting events to watch his children play. But he did it because he was such a great dad. And But he, he just loved playing music, and he loved singing, and he he could he could carry the band, he could lead the band, he could play any instrument, just pick it up and start playing. He was masterful on the piano. He could sight-read, he could play by ear, he could sing. He did it all. And so my sister played the flute. Uh, she went on to to be an athlete at cal and then my my younger brother he played the saxophone and the reed instruments the clarinet and so forth and and then my older brother bruce and i we shared the horns we passed the horns all the way around and then on the weekends my dad would he would be the music teacher when he wasn't driving us to the games but he you know he he went to the games a lot but uh, i like to get there early so i'd be on my bike i'd be on my bike and get going you asked me at the beginning of this i think it was today you asked me about the difficulty of showers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have outdoor showers here in our house in San Diego. Wow. <laughs> We've been in our house for 43 years. I've never taken a shower indoors. And, you know, the weather here is, is very, very nice. Climate change is devastating San Diego and all of California. Really, the whole planet is just hot, humid, muggy, and but it never rains anymore. And water is a huge, huge... I, I know you're in Seattle today. It's still raining there, right?
0: Seattle is beautiful. I just left San Diego on Monday. You know, the weather's been great there. Uh, recently, I came up to Seattle. It's like I never I never left. And they said uh, they thought I brought it with me because they they've had that. You know, usually it gets nice uh, starting about July 4th. And they said wow. this year, wow. it was about July 7th. But right now, today, 82, not a cloud in the sky. Beautiful. When I went across the uh across the bridge to lake washington and oh, as you know by being up here there's there's not a prettier place in the country on a, on a nice day but then you got to do deal with those winners
1: will you please tell my good friend timothy egan hello and also daniel james brown two seattle residents man who just have changed my life with their books absolutely fantastic daniel james brown the boys in the boat under an indifferent sky facing the mountain, Timothy Egan, an endless <laughs> start with the, the good rain and go to the pilgrimage book and everything in between. So it's just so fun. I'm the lucky, you know, to have my mom be a librarian. I mean, that, that changed my life as much as anything because she was in charge of everything. My dad had no interest in money. My dad had no interest in business. He just liked helping people. My dad was a top student at Cal himself and he but then he he ended up fighting on the ground in Europe in World War II France and Germany and he came home and he came home and he just never said a word about it but spent the rest of his life trying to convince people to get along and quit the nonsense and live by the mantra it's okay to disagree just don't be disagreeable when everybody thinks alike, nobody thinks and just the greatest parents ever. But my mom, we didn't have a TV growing up. And so and when we, we, you know, we couldn't afford one in the early days, it was a choice between food or a TV and we chose food. And so, uh, but then when we finally got enough money and things started to you know grow and things were getting better for everybody in the sixties, my mom said, we have enough buy a TV. Yeah, we're going to be cool. How lucky are we? We're going to be like everybody else, with a TV. And then she said, but I've been doing lots of research at the library and I've concluded that there's nothing on television worth watching. So we're not going to get one, <laughs> but That's this right. was, this was before ESPN. This was before the, the sports came on the TV.
0: Really interesting though, you know, your, your parents, you know, the yeah. music teacher and the librarian. And you said, especially your dad wasn't really into the sports, but being a good father, he, he supported great. it and he trucked you around because he had two, two pretty big athletes sitting there right at Helix going on to the, to the highest level. Um, tell me about the San Diego Rockets there's some story about the San Diego Rockets a key and Bill Walton in high school so in
1: 1967 I'm 14 years old and I I turn my calendar year uh, turns over at the in November so in the in the spring and summer of 1967 I'm 14 Uh, it's, it's the summer of love in California I'm very close to going to my first Grateful Dead concert. I had been a, I had grown to love sports because of my first coach Rocky and all the parks at Kalina del Sol, right a block and a half from Crawford High School, where your dad went to you know your grandfather.
0: No, no. Gramps was at Hoover. Gramps, Gramps and uh, and Ted Williams were at Hoover. Dad, dad was at Crawford where he met my mom. And And they've been together. Uh Yeah. Nettles was in my dad's wedding. I believe he was my dad's best man. Nice. And I I heard, do you know, Tim Foley? Are you buddies with Tim Foley? I am
1: buddies with Tim Foley. Yep.
0: Fantastic. Dad and Tim Foley, very, very close. All right, go ahead. Go ahead and continue. I'm 14,
1: 1967, and the San Diego Rockets become an expansion team in the ever-expanding NBA. Now, in 1962, 1962, I found Chick Hearn – Greatest broadcaster ever on the AM radio, the transistor radio that we would always carry around in our pockets and take to bed with us every night. Vin Scully in the summertime, Chick Hearn all winter long. And so in 1962, though, after I found Chick, the then Los Angeles Chargers of the AFL moved Baron Baron Hilton down to San Diego. They didn't want to compete against the Rams. And so they come to San Diego and they choose as their practice facility, their, their, and their AFL practice facility, they choose Sunset Park, which is a public park a half a mile from our family home, right? On the, on, on the banks, on the hills around Lake Murray, where we all grew up. And, and so every day I'd ride my bike up there, ride my skateboard, and just cling on the fence, hang on the fence. I'm nine years old. Right. And I'm uh, and I'm watching all these guys who all went on to become Hall of Famers. And, you know, that early Charger team was just phenomenal. But Sid Gilman is the coach and all these legendary players, Lance Allworth and Ron Mix and Ernie Ladd and Earl Faison and Keith Lincoln and Chuck Allen. And just you, you just name these guys, Paul Lowe and just phenomenal player, Gary Garrison. And they would all come by, and they had no idea. there was just little red-headed guys clinging on the fence, and they'd come coming out in the field of practice, and they'd just come by, rub my buzz haircut, and they'd just say, hey, how you doing there? And then, and then within the next four or five years, I became their friends and they really, and then they knew, okay, there's this there's this red-headed guy in San Diego who's playing basketball now. And so now the Rockets, in 67, five years later, after the Chargers come, San Diego becomes an NBA franchise and they all come in and I've got a key to the gym because I'm playing basketball all the time. And my best friend, his older brother, uh, in those days in California, uh, all the schools, every public school in in California was open to the public, to the neighborhood. So, you know, whether you're at Crawford or Hoover, you're in that neighborhood, the gyms and the fields and the, the tennis courts, they're all open for anybody to just come and play anytime you want, as long as school's not in session. And so they would hire these college kids, these college students to be the park supervisor. And so my best friend's older brother was a college basketball player at San Diego state, which is just a mile away from our family home where my mom went to college class of 1947. Our youngest son, Chris went to college class of the early two thousands. And so I was at Helix playing all the time, but it wasn't enough because I, because they would close down at night, you know, eight o'clock at night, they'd close it down, but I wanted to keep playing. So I, finagle the key to the gym. And so when the Rockets showed up, they always, basketball players are always looking for a gym. And so th- they quickly found out that I had a key. And so they're calling me up all the time. And and, and one time in particular, you know, the, the early days, it was, uh, it was uh, Jim Barnett and Pat Riley and, uh, Don Coaches, and John Block. I mean, legends to this day. And, and they're the first team there. And then soon to be joined by Rudy Tomjanovich, Elvin Hayes, Calvin Murphy, Stu Lance, all legends to this very day. And then the coaches and the basketball staff at the time, Pete Newell, Tex Winter, Alex Hannum, and Jack McMahon, all of them Hall of Famers. And here I am, 14 years old, playing with these guys, but I have having the time of my life. And so one day I'm lying on the, it's a hot summer day, lying on the family living room floor, just waiting for what's going to be next, waiting for John Fogerty to come out with a new song. And all of a sudden the phone rings and my mom is sitting in the chair, knitting, reading, listening to music. And and she picks up the phone and there's this really deep voice on the other end. And he goes, is Billy there? And my mom says, who's this? And the guy goes, "It's just tell Billy it's Big E on the phone, and I want him to open up the gym. And my mom cups her hand over the phone, looked down at me on the floor. Billy, who is this man? He's so old. He sounds so old. His name is Biggie. What, what are you doing? Is everything okay, Billy? said, Mom, give me the phone. That's Elvin Hayes. That's Big E, Elvin Hayes. And so I took the phone from her and got on there. We scheduled the next time we're all going to go play uh, to this day, I and mean, Elvin Hayes just incredible. incredible. I don't, I,
0: I don't know too many people that have that story. You're, you're a high school kid, like you said. You're 14. You got the big boys calling you because you got the key to the gym. Right. Well, I, that's I, not a story I, everybody has.
1: I, I, I also became the only high school player to ever make the U.S. national team, which is a, a, a longer story than we have uh, time for on this program because that's. Uh, uh, that's a, an all-encompassing story that changed my life. Most of the stories of my life uh, have had just incredible impact, most of them incredibly positive. And this, this particular instance, when I made the U.S. national team as a high school player in 1970, at the height of the Vietnam War, and I was 17, the next youngest guy on the team was 24. They were all in the military. They were all subject to the draft. And it was at the same time, Brett, it was the best and the worst time of my life up to that point, because that was the first and really only time in my life that I had a jerk for a coach. And this guy I mean, my coaches have all been like John Wooden and Chick Hearn and Lenny Wilkins and Jack Ramsey and Casey Jones and Gene Shu and Paul Silas and Don Chaney and Red Auerbach and Dennis. all these Hall of Famers were my coaches, right? Super positive, super upbeat, like, we get to play ball today. Let's go. What can I do to help you? And this, this guy was just awful. I mean, he was... He he was the he was the worst of humanity, although that bar has been lowered recently. (laughs) That's the worst of humanity. Oh, my God.
0: Good high school. okay,
1: so those kind of people. It seems to me as if they wake up these people who were the the worst of the worst. I've had a few. I've had a few. Seems like they wake up and they say to themselves, What's the worst thing I can do for the world today? That's not me. I wake up, I say, what's the best thing I can do to make life better for other people, to lift the burden and to ease the pain? I'm a team guy. And I, you know, I grew up that way and I still am that way. And even though my life growing up, you know, they were always trying to push me to to, the individual glory, individual attention, uh, individual... Nonsense, and that's just not me. I'm a team guy. Bill Russell's my favorite player ever. I love Steve Nash. I love Larry Bird. I love I love the guys. You know the great players today. Uh, they you know we have six children, fourteen grandchildren. Lori and I do. We got our hands full. Lori's parents live with us. They're ninety nine and ninety four. Just two days ago, uh, they they celebrated their seventieth wedding anniversary, and it was just fantastic. And so I'm a family guy. And uh, and so here I, I had this tormented conflict my whole life, Brad, of, of, of people trying to push me into, you know, being an individual, you know, in, in a world of team, and, and and that's just not me. And so I, I I try my best to be just like I am. Everybody wants me to be just like them,
0: and and I think. You know, what a, what a high school experience you had. You know, we touched on 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 the guys from the Rockets calling you, but making the national team in high school, only yeah. kid to ever do yeah. that. Uh, I, I found something. you were in faces in the crowd on Sports Illustrated. Yes. that's a lot for a kid I, of your age to handle all that in a short amount of time. Well, how, I, how did you how did you take that
1: the basketball part was super easy? The problem, the, the problems I had were health. Always being injured, and then the fact that I couldn't speak, and I could not express myself, and I could not make my own point, and I could not—I could not deliver vocally what was going on in my mind—and to have the privilege of having a 32-plus year take out the in- injured years when I couldn't broadcast, but the people I've had the remarkable. Privilege of working with and for—I mean—and and in no particular order—Ralph Waller with the Clippers, thirteen years, worst basketball ever, criminal business practices, but never had so much fun. And then at the national level with uh, Tom Hammond, and Greg Gumbel, and Snapper Jones, and Jim Gray, and the producer Kevin Smollen that we had. And then uh, John Gonzalez, the director, uh, Jeff Simon, who was assistant to everybody out there. Just phenomenal. And then we had uh, the uh, work with Brent Musburger and Dick Enberg and Ahmad Rashad and Jason Bonetti, who I did a Chicago White Sox baseball game with. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That was wild as could be. One One of the real privileges of my life, I was in Los Angeles a lot. I'm a San Diego guy, you know, Los Angeles. You grew up in Orange County, uh, but where do you live now?
0: I'm in San Diego.
1: All right. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm right down the street. Right down the street. So uh, I I used to go to the Padres games at Westgate Park, down where Fashion Valley is right now. And, uh, you know, you just ride your bike down there just lead it up against the fence and the ushers would just wave you on in. But, you know, Chico Ruiz, uh, that was my guy. And Tony Perez,
0: those were my guys. Tony Perez. Yeah. Perez, we've had Perez on the Boone podcast. Really? Yeah. yeah. Tony's a good man. He, uh, my years in Cincinnati, when I played for the Reds, Tony would be one of those guys always come back, you know, always one of the big red machine guys coming back. I just, I just did an outing with him uh, last summer. We, they had a, uh, Reds legend game. And I got yep. to see Tony. It's always, he's can one, of my, him, one of my, one of my favorite Tony, guys.
1: Tell Tony, hello. I he's will live, right? He's still, he's still alive doing great. You, you lose track during COVID because people are dropping like flies. And, and so anyway, and during the eighties, I was spending a lot of time in Los Angeles and, and, uh, and I got to be really good friends with uh, Tim Leary and George Carlin. And George was he was putting on the shows all the time, uh, all around, uh, you know, the central part of Los Angeles, not downtown the way it is now, but more in Hollywood and Sunset Strip and that that part of Los Angeles here. But just uh, he was just so fun. George Carlin was all the time. And and, and the way he saw the world, it was just brilliant. And, and, you know, his descriptions about the diamonds and the parks and the, the pastoral settings of baseball games. Nobody's really ever described basketball that way, you know. And the manager's wearing the same uniform as the players do. Who's up? We need some relief here. Sacrifice. Yeah, the stretch with the seventh inning. Go home. <laughs> if it rains, we don't play. <laughs> that never happens here in San Diego. So the other day, I was in <laughs> Wisconsin. I was in Wisconsin on a corporate deal. And it was uh, super fun. I had a great time. I got a call Call in, in the middle of the night uh, from Bob Costas, who I worked with as well. And I apologize for the people who I've left out of the list of the broadcasters. It's a long list and they're just all great. And Bob's right at the top. And uh, and so uh, Bob calls me up in the middle of the night and I said, hey, Bill, there's going to be a dinner in Orange County and it's about good stuff. And can you come? And I said, OK, Bob, it's you. I'll come. But I'm in the middle of Wisconsin. And w- when's And the event. He says tomorrow night. Oh, great. And so I spend a long time on the phone, changing my travel and get up in the middle of the morning and, you know, middle of the morning, that means like 3am and, and get to, get to what, what airport was like, Milwaukee through Denver to San Diego. I had a meeting with ESPN when I got off the plane here in San Diego. Then I got in the car and drove up. It was going to be in Newport beach. And so, And I get there that there's like a thousand people at this dinner and they're honoring Bob Costas. I have no idea what's happening. And he's got Roy Firestone there. He's got Rod Carew there and Freddie Lynn and Jim Palmer and all my buddies and Doug Senseis and uh, uh, Janet Evans, uh, the swimmer. And and they're going to honor Bob and raise money uh, for youth sports. All the stuff that we grew up in. And that have made us who we are right so it's fantastic uh, and then they asked me to speak oh my gosh and, and the times we used to have with bob uh because you know when you talk about greatness you know bob, bob costas is right there and and then when bob was speaking kareem walks in the door and kareem you talk about greatness and bob costas together standing there it, it was fantastic and then, so everybody gave their little talk and uh, about how wonderful you sports are and, and, and raised a lot of money, fantastic. And then it was Bob's turn to speak. And he put on a show like I have never seen before in the corporate broadcast, in the corporate business speaking circuit world. Because, you know, everything Bob has done since he was very young has been on network television. And so it's all there. And so Bob would start telling a story When it was his turn to give his speech he'd start telling a story after having to correct all the mistakes that everybody else was making along the way because he would just jump up and improv like george carlin and just do these remarkable presentations just right off the cuff and just be perfect at everything and then sit back down but when it was finally his turn he'd start telling the stories that he wanted to make a point about and and then he would point to the soundboard and they would roll the clip that he was talking about and and then it would deliver this perfect punchline that bob had used in live television that was archived there by all the different networks that he worked for and all the different things that he did the interview shows and the olympics and football and baseball and basketball just literally everything and it was just such a dazzling performance and everybody just goes oh my gosh we've never done anything like that i was there bob costas A a true giant, maybe the biggest giant of them all. But Dick Enberg, who I spent a lifetime with, you know, Dick Enberg, phenomenal broadcaster, as decorated and awarded a broadcaster as there's ever been. Dick was our local broadcaster at UCLA for the basketball team. I worked with him for decades. And Dick Enberg was the closest human being to John Wooden in terms of being like John Wooden that I have ever come across. And, and the way that both Dick Enberg and Bob Costas, they love broadcasting baseball. And then I, I tell you, the, the the one game that I did with Jason Benetti, the White Sox Angels game, I, I had a lot of fun there. And uh, Jason Benetti, that guy, has he been on the Boone podcast? He has not been on. But... You got to get him on. The guy is a genius. A is he? Genius, man. He just, he's, He's like, he's like, uh, uh, Gary Kasparov. He's like Magnus Carlson. Just, you know, they're just, they're playing. Like Larry Bird. Did you watch the Joe Montana cool under pressure movie? Yes. That was spectacular. And I, w- I was staggered, Brett staggered. Cause I, you know, I'm a huge Joe Montana fan. Just love the guy. And, uh, I was there at Stanford, uh, going to law school in the early eighties when he joined the 49ers. And so, and they're, the 49ers practice field was right there at Stanford on the Stanford campus. And so I got to know all those guys and all the USC guys and UCLA guys, and the NFL guys, and my brother was still alive then. So I knew all these guys. And, and then they they just become the best of the best The 49ers to do. And Joe Namath is just at a totally different deal. And then I'm watching this movie and I'm learning all this stuff about him. And it was so disheartening in that his coaches treated him really bad. And I, and I didn't like that. I mean, I, you know, when you're a coach, your job, when you're a leader, your job is to make things better. Your job is to be the light and guide people, be the human forklift, be the, the human solar panel to just make things and people better. And here are these guys. I mean, Joe Montana. I mean, this phenomenal player and talent and an incredible performer. And, and, and they're playing all these mind games with them. And I, I just, I
0: just was brokenhearted. It was, just, it was
1: devastatingly
0: sad. And I'll never forget. And you you've played for some, some legendary guys. And, and yeah, you mentioned six some- of my
1: coaches, six of my coaches are in the hall of fame. Many more would be if I hadn't been injured all the time, I've spent half my adult life in the, in the uh, hospital. And of the 14 years I was in the NBA, I missed nine and a half full seasons But to see the NBA where it is today and to see it now grossing $10 billion, and that's big time. And, you know, it's not as big time as Nike. I mean, Nike by itself, it makes more money every year than all the sports combined, than NFL, than NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, and the NCAA. Nike makes more than all those five entities And so they're doing things. And that's why Phil Knight's the most important person in the history of all sports, while David Stern's the most important person in the history of uh, basketball. I don't know who the most important person in the history of baseball is. Uh, I'm going to have to leave that that to you and Jason Vanetti to figure it out.
0: 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company.